Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor, thriving with stage four disease, and author of the book that shares the same name of this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great, but sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me, success stories of people that have been through hard times, and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. I hope you've been able to catch our recent episodes, including the upbeat and festive conversation about finding ways to stay connected and still celebrate. Or last week's episode with Valerie Gordon, a 10-time Emmy Award-winning storyteller and founder of a career and communication strategy firm who talks about managing a job search during hard times and shares insights on how to navigate the uncertain. Now, if you've liked these episodes or others, please tell your friends and do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed. And now for this episode, I am beyond honored to introduce you to Lynn Giovanelli. She is a beacon of light with a kind, loving, and passionate spirit that is filled with positive energy, faith, and compassion. After her recent ALS diagnosis, she stepped up her focus to living life, as she coins it, in Technicolor. She shares her incredibly moving story, talks about what gives her energy and hope, and approaches life accepting her diagnosis, but not the prognosis. Lynn is truly, truly, truly inspiring, and I am so grateful she shares her story with us, and you will be too. So please, grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to introduce you to Lynn Giovanelli. I was told she is a bright light and amazing in a thousand ways. Now, with that kind of introduction, I couldn't wait to meet her. People who know her best say she is kind, loving, and a passionate spirit that's filled with positive energy, faith, and compassion. Now, she's passionate about so many things in life, one of which she's made a career of, and that's literacy. She's been helping kids make a difference in the community as Director of Advancement for Groves Academy. And before that, she advanced the missions of Youth Frontiers and the Friends of the St. Paul Public Library. Now, she's a founder, a founding member of Giving Women, is that how we pronounce it? Women in Minnesota. Giving Women, And has served on the boards of Brick to Bread and Young Lives. Now, we're here today talking about Lynn and her story. She is no stranger to hardship, having been diagnosed with breast cancer in 2011 and saw her company fall during the real estate crash of 2009. While her health has changed over the years, friends all say that one thing that has remained steady is her unbounded spirit. I am so honored today that Lynn will share her story about her recent ALS diagnosis with us. Lynn, thank you so much for being here with me today. 
Karen, thank you. What a privilege. It really is such an honor to be able to just share a little snippet. I have loved listening to your podcast and being inspired by so many stories that you've shared. Well, thank you so much. I think as I told you and I've mentioned to the listeners before, to me, it's such a beautiful thing to just get on the phone and talk with friends, old friends, new friends, sharing stories, because so many times there are lessons in them or there's just this energy that we get from hearing a positive story told by somebody that we inevitably become be, begin to care about. Totally. I, I totally see that. I would say holding up stories has been one of the things throughout these the roller coaster ride I've been on over the last decade or so um, has just been these other beacons of light that have kind of bolstered me up um, and just seeing how what provision looks like and that you can really that attitude is a choice to a large degree. Um, and it doesn't mean every day is perfect or happy, but um, just seeing those stories of hope really does uh, make a difference. Well, if you're okay, I'd love to jump in and I'd love for you to share with the listeners about your recent diagnosis with ALS? Sure. Um, yeah, well, what a surprise. I would say um, over the last year or so, I had been noticing little strange sort of inconvenient um, losses. So I'm, I'm a 20-year yoga practitioner, and there had been a couple of times where on my mat, I actually fell down, and I had to think, like, did I not get enough sleep last night? Um, did I have an extra glass of wine? Like what's going on? Mm -hmm. But I became really aware that my right foot was doing me wrong. And I'm a real, I love to be a uh, power walker with friends to kind of catch up over a power walk at the beginning is kind of a twofer. Yeah. And I was noticing my pace was really slowing down and I was having trouble walking the stairs. And so this was all kind of last winter into when COVID struck and when we were home um, through the pandemic, had a little more time to get out and walk, take really long walks. And I was just finding that my foot wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And it kind of came to a head at the end of April when um, I was out for a long walk in the neighborhood with my husband and I fell. And I fell on like a tiny little lip of concrete that normally wouldn't have taken me down and I crashed I literally was bruised from head to foot and I just got up from that ball and sobbed because I knew something was wrong um and something was probably really wrong and that was the moment of admission when I realized I needed to seek medical help um to figure out what was going on so over those months um started with a physical therapist that thought it might be a pinched L4 disc Okay. And that progressed to a referral to a neurologist um, because the MRI came back perfectly clean. And so she moved. It was just kind of a series of ruling out things that were like, I was hoping it was MS. I was hoping it was certain things. And as the bubble went from large to kind of narrowing um, with lots of different tests from the neurologist, I had a great care team. And again, in the series of with COVID medical help, it just was almost incredible how doors opened up um, to get quick help that maybe in a normal circumstance, it would have been a longer process. So I do see some COVID silver linings in my own um, mm -hmm. diagnosis process. But the neurologist that I was seeing here locally um, 
ordered a bunch of blood work and she said, we're going to do from the benign to the exotic. We're going to really look at everything, no stone unturned. So she was kind of a woman after my own heart in terms of let's go after things full bore. And um, when we came to the end of six MRIs and a bunch of different tests, um, she referred me to a neuromuscular neurologist, which um, if you Google what that is, it's an ALS doctor uh, pretty much. So that was a hard day. Um, And from there, I ended up getting um, to the mail to that care team. And my call initially was just me calling, not even for a second opinion, but just to get in to be seen by their ALS team. And when they initially uh, took the call, they did the whole screening process and said, it takes, you know, 14 days for us to go through all of this intake and determine whether or not we want to offer you an appointment. And I was like, wow, you're playing hard to get. This is really a challenge. I thought they'd just come, you know, roll the red carpet out and see me right away. Yeah. And within six hours, I kind of said, you know, I understand your process. Okay, it might take up to 14 days. Within six hours, they called back and said, you know, we'd like to offer you an appointment. And it was kind of right away. So I said, I feel like Charlie in the chocolate factory, like I got the golden ticket. I'm so happy you picked me. And then I realized, oh, shoot, that actually might not be a really good news. Um, so it was at the end of July, July 27th, that my husband and I went down to Mayo for four days of testing. And we kind of expected that it would be like a bunch of different tests. And come Thursday, there would be this big reveal, like, ta-da, this is what we found. And instead, it went really differently um, within the first 90 minutes of um, seeing two neuromuscular neurologists. They shared the diagnosis. They wheeled their little chairs over and said, um, you know, we're so sorry to inform you, but you um, have ALS, the early stage. And we asked a million questions about, gosh, how are you, you know, how do you know? And what's door number two look like if this is door number one and kind of really pushed on is this really our reality? Um, and in my spirit, I knew going into the appointments that that was likely what we would hear. And so, again, I just think by the power and Holy Spirit, I was just composed and asked a lot of questions. And then we went straight to the notion that we were going to have to tell our kids, which truly was the hardest day of my life. And so our whole plans were disrupted um, in that 90 minutes time stood still and it was 10 30 in the morning and um our next appointment wasn't until one o'clock so we went to an outdoor patio it was a beautiful day in july and mm-hmm. sat and had a glass of wine as soon as the restaurant opened and just cried we just cried with the waitress she came over and she sat with us it was just this really holy moment where uh-huh. a perfect stranger was like you're the specials and you know what can i get you and as soon as I said, I've just been diagnosed with a terminal condition, she cried with us and sat down and just was beautiful. Like, this was a beautiful human being just showing up in that moment. Um, we had actually, Gino and I made, trying to make it, it sort of a fun process of like, okay, we're going to figure this out. Gino's a drummer and we have a really musical family. So I said, let's make it fun. We made a, what we coined the musical Mayo playlist. So the Mayo playlist. Down, uh-huh. Yeah, we made a mail playlist. There's all of our favorite songs that make us happy or trigger a good moment. And so driving down on Sunday night, we were sing- singing at the top of our lungs and like talking about the memories that the songs evoked and like, yay. And then, gosh, that drive home on Monday night, the playlist was still going. And both of us were like, turn that off. <laughs> like we couldn't even bear to hear some of the songs that were, you know, important to us over time. Um, 
we had to listen to something. We just turned the thing off and started talking about how life was permanently different from that moment on, like how we were going to tell those closest to us. And, um, now, you know, it was so sad. He just was like, I don't want to be alone. It, the whole thing was just like walking through molasses. So I'm, my head's spinning in so many different directions here. Can you tell me, did the boys know that you were going down to the Mayo for this? So were you driving home and were they expecting answers? That's a great question, Karen. And so they knew that I was having trouble walking. So, you know, they, they had seen my gait over time, had just gotten to be a little limpy, and they would observe me kind of going up and down stairs with a challenge. So they knew I was being checked out. Um, Marco, our oldest son, at, uh, just as we were leaving, said, are you nervous? Are you nervous that this could be something bad? And we're a no secrets family. And so I did say, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little worried. Um, I, no one said the words ALS or terminal or anything like that. But um, we did share that, gosh, we have some concerns and we really want to get to the bottom of this and get answers and that we felt really confident. We're so fortunate to be in a location where there's just excellent medical care and, and just great health systems that um, we knew we were going to be in the best possible care. But we did share with them that we were nervous. So on Monday, <laughs> we were getting texts from the kids saying, like, how's it going? Uh-huh. And Gino responded, because we're like, we always say, what's the smallest, truest thing that you can say? So Gino said in his text response, the Mayo is a very impressive facility. So like, we didn't answer so the That's question. true. Let's yeah. answer with a non-answer in terms, and then like, how's mom doing? She's a champ. I mean, so we had these text uh-huh. exchanges that were um, not saying too much. And so we had initially planned to stay overnight on Monday night because the Tuesday appointments were pretty early. But then the kids, I think when we said, hey, we're going to come home instead, we'd rather come home tonight. They were eager. So when we walked in the door, we all went out on the deck. Again, it was another beautiful evening. and. Um, just kind of, they said, what's going on? And we just shared straight out, like, this is really hard. Um, and this is what's in front of us. And for whatever reason, again, I just was able to sort of hold it together and say, you know, I'm so lucky that I'm, that I'm your mom. And you're so lucky that you've gotten to have dad and I as your parents. Um, and so it's not about how much time we're given. Really, nobody knows what, how much time we've got. Um, we're going to live our best life now. And that's really what we've declared that we're doing. Um, So even in the midst of a pandemic, we are making really beautiful memories. Can you share with us a little bit about this? And is this, is this drastically different than the way you guys lived before? Um, Yes. And that's how I would answer that. Um, We we're a family that really loves to spend time together. Um, it's really, it's, it's such a blessing. We, we just have a lot of fun together. So we've got Marco's 20 and Luca's 18 and Stefano's 16. So they're kind of boom, boom, boom. And they're really good friends. And we, we do have a lot of fun together, but I would say that what's different is there's a certain preciousness and I that you can relate where when you're really told, like no one knows how much time they have, but when a doctor tells you, um, you know, 
the average is two to five years, kind of yeah. get your, get yourself organized. You can file for disability right away. We'll give you the doctor's note. If you don't like your job, you can quit tomorrow. Like it kind of is a whirlwind. And so with that clarity, it just upped our game in terms of like, gosh, every single exchange and every minute counts. And it can be ordinary moments, but it's almost like they're amped up to a level of preciousness where it's like you're listening harder. Things look more technicolor. Um, you see what you mean. You don't hold back. So I would say that's happening more in our family. I love the, the description of being in technicolor. Because you're right, some of, I mean, I, I mean, I, I will laugh and say that of all the things I have done for my son, who is now 11, but when he was nine, there was a Mother's Day event at school, and he, all these things and, and big experiences, or at least in his world, that I try and sign him up for, and what he wrote about was me playing catch in the backyard with him. And that was something that was memorable for him. And so I think that as you're creating all these memories, it sounds like you're talking about the big, the little, the everyday in technicolor makes it, I guess, beautiful and will continue to bring joy to your family at whatever stage this, you know, prognosis goes. How do you handle, I mean, it's only been a few months now and has your life changed drastically now? Um, or are you awaiting other symptoms? How do you deal with that? So thankfully I just had my last appointment at Mayo, my most recent appointment was a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's a progressive disease. That part's kind of guaranteed. Um, there's no known cure. So kind of on paper, it, it does kind of look like we just track the decline. Um, for me right now, it's my right leg continues to be the issue. And so um, it, it's strength and it's balance. So my, my number one job is not falling. Um, so what's different is I'm, I love to exercise. I, I actually went back to school. Um, for, to study kinesiology because I'm so interested. I became wow. a personal trainer like uh-huh. kind of on the side as I was um, pregnant for the first time, really wanting to help other people get their bodies and their full health back after a pregnancy. So I did that just kind of for fun. And my exercise has had to change. There's kind of a funny irony in that the only thing I don't enjoy is swimming. Like I've just never loved <sighs> the water, not a big water bug. Yeah. And again, how... Um, I just had to reorder what I do for exercise because with this disease, if you, if you do too much, it can actually be harmful. So I'm one that loves to feel the burn and really go for that. You know, am I in this zone of cardio and whatnot? And I've had to really dial that back. So the irony is that, um, Gosh, back in my 20s, I was a trustee for a, an organization, a great organization in town called the Courage Center, and they help um, people with disabilities experience their full ability. And I went from being a trustee there for a decade back in the day to now I'm doing pool therapy. I had my first day of pool therapy yesterday, and I just had to laugh that, are you kidding me? The one thing I do not enjoy is the water, and the fact that Again, I just see it as God going before me 
to make me super comfortable with people in wheelchairs and Courage Kenny, like a place that really does amazing rehab work, non-patients. And that irony is just not lost on me. I just think, okay, that is, that's a sense of humor. That's clever. And so I actually really enjoyed the water yesterday. Um, I've had to shift um, a lot of my other activity, but day to day, things are pretty much the same. And I think that semblance of normalcy um, because it's my right foot driving is a little precarious. So I'm going in to have a driver's evaluation in a couple of weeks. Um, okay. But I did learn something cool is that they can trick out your vehicle to drive left footed or with your hands. So I, I've been kind of grieving this loss of being able to drive. And I think but that you might come be able to. Me. Yeah. So right? I'm discovering all of these new, through technology, really new and amazing ways to keep me um, full and, and whole in the midst of a lot of decline and loss. So that feels great. Um, and I'm super grateful for it. And who would have known, you know, if I hadn't right. gone through this, I would never know these things. So that right. I always chalk it up as like, okay, I'm, I'm a curious type. So I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I get to know these things, I guess. Well, can you tell us a little bit about, you were talking about normalcy and some of your routine. Do you have a morning routine or other routines that you, that have carried over, I know you touched upon exercise and though you're doing it differently, but are there other, you know, call it modalities or just, you know, morning experiences that help you kickstart the day to take it on? Yeah. You know, I would say that it's interesting that I um, have adopted a new routine that was, you know, coached. I was in a, a, a class to kind of redefine my career purpose. Like, what is my real purpose? Because since this diagnosis, it's like my purpose feels different. I really love my job. Um, and I want to stay at Groves Academy as long as I can do that in a win-win situation. But it's reordered um, how I see work and purpose. The, the, the purpose to me now is like to live every day to the full and to um, to show up in my full humanity until my last breath. And so um, in this coaching class that I was part of, we were talking about what are our routines. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I have something that I've now coined as M&Ms. So every morning before I leave my bedroom, I meditate and I do mat work. So I do stretching, which is really good for someone with ALS. And I get a thousand steps in. And that doesn't sound super inspiring, but for me, it's something that it's almost like making your bed. Then if you get nothing else done for the rest of the day, you can at least say you've done something. For me to do this, meditate for, you know, 10 to 20 minutes and stretching and getting some steps in, it feels like I'm off to a great start. I love it. And what's funny is the the reference to M&Ms, like it's not your chocolate coated M&Ms, it's the healthy spin on it. (laughs) Right? I love treats. You know, loving treats, it's like, I kind of like that it's M&Ms, but then it's good for me. And then I also start the day, the first thing that I, um, I've given up coffee and now I am drinking celery juice. I've kind of been in this deep study of functional medicine and how diet uh-huh. And lifestyle can really be like almost that the body has the power to heal itself. Yes. And so I'm really deep. I, you know, I, with my cancer, I, I was intrigued with my study of kinesiology. I've always really been into health and wellness, but this is on a whole new level for me to really imagine like what is going on in my body 
to have been able to create a disease state like cancer and now like ALS. Like, are there things in my body that I can learn about where I could do things differently to maybe slow things down? You are such a woman for my own heart because that is exactly what I did. And I too did some research when I got my stage four diagnosis and I really believe in it. I, I want to hear what are you finding right now? Because there's always so much information around, but what are you finding that that you're trying right now? Not saying it's the answer necessarily, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, right on. Well, so it's it's a beautiful thing. My my mom um, at 82 is amazingly sharp and she's a research warrior. So she and my sisters, uh, I have two sisters, one older, one younger, they've really been digging in with me to say like what resources are out there. And there's a really cool organization called Healing ALS and they hold up the 46 known ALS reversals and they're digging in on what are the elements behind those reversals. Now there's no cure, but there have been folks that have been in a wheelchair, lost their voice, really the symptoms go hard and fast. And through changes in their diet and lifestyle, they've actually been able to reverse some of the symptoms. So I'm super intrigued by that. Western medicine doesn't really talk too much about that, right. um, which is okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, an opportunity for those two to kind of come together. But yes, as I I'm totally... studying it, learning things like um, toxicity, like metals. I, I never had heard of amalgam uh, filling replacements before, but I'm kind of looking into that. Um, looking at the level of pH and alkaline in your body, looking at, so I'm, I'm actually right now working with a functional medicine doctor who's doing a ton of tests to really understand all of my levels of, you know, the different vitamins and minerals that we need to be in a healthy state versus not. So I'm, it's like a self-study and it'd be really, really interesting if it's just really, really interesting anyway. Um, and I just wish it wasn't because I had this terminal diagnosis staring me in the face, but I, I'm all in and I, it actually gives me a lot of energy and it gives me a lot of hope to be listening to other people who are going completely clean organic, really looking at what's in their water that they drink, looking at what's in the products that they're putting on their bodies. Um, and so that's me. I'm kind of doing an intake and an evaluation of all those things, and I'm willing to do anything. Um, and it may not necessarily mean um, that this won't take my life, but I'm not going down without a fight. I'm I'm speechless, but at the same time, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I, I completely agree. Everything you said, I felt like when I got my stage four diagnosis that I, I believe in Western medicine, but there's all this information out there about other healing modalities. And I did a lot of research. I was in grad school at the time, so I had a little extra access, but truth be told, there's so much we can find now from great authors and doctors and on the internet that really <laughs> helped open my eyes to like, the products that I was using on my body, like you, the water that I was drinking, everything that you mentioned, I feel like opened my eyes and that I think whether in, you know, in your case for ALS and my case for, for uh, cancer growth and tumor growth, and even just for other people out there that aren't feeling well, it gave me hope that if nothing else, that 
you know, I was going to feel better going through this. And I believe that my side effects have been, let's just call it more minimal, if more minimal, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if that's, that's a word, but have been lessened than what they could be because I have figured out how to, you know, there, there's an author of a book called Anti-Cancer Living, which I like, actually co-authors, and they talk kind of about the terrain in your body and making that terrain not weeds, but nourishing it so that it can be healthy. And that's what I felt like I had a little bit of control over something. And and so I really can understand um, what you, it sounds like you're almost in, a, in an odd way excited about it because it's new information that's helping provide good energy. It's a strange, like it, it is a strange excitement. Like I find joy in a new discovery and I'm almost like joyfully drinking my celery juice instead of my, you know, used to be latte or, you yeah. know, whatever it's because it feels on purpose and because it does, I, you know, I hate to admit that it probably is a little bit more around control what you can control, but because there is this notion of like, I do have choice over, um, my functional medicine doctor, Dr. Platnikov, who is a genius, said, you know, you can accept your diagnosis, but you don't have to accept your prognosis. Your body is a really powerful machine and, you know, it's, it's an art form and the future is fiction. So let's write a good one. And I just, I, I continue to, even when I meditate, think about my mitochondria. Like I think about my, at the cellular level, like how is my body? doing and if there are things that I can do either for me and I think about my kids too and you know I want us all to be healthier and it's like once you know it you can't unknow it once you see it you can't unsee it and so being in this place of discovery it's a strange joy to be able to like oh this is like um the next degree in something that I didn't know I was pursuing a degree in but it's almost Uh kind of fun Well, can you, um, I mean, again, I, I share so many of those sentiments because it's, it's become a lifestyle for me and it sounds like it's going that direction for you too. And it's not just about our lives, but it's about our families around us and, and how Gino and the boys are affected obviously by this in so many ways. Will you share with us, you know, how they're dealing with this, how they have been of support to you as you're going through this journey? Sure. They're just simply the best. Um, Marco is um, a music student at Indiana University. And when we originally were sitting on the deck sharing the news, his first phrase was, I'm not going back to school. And I'll transfer to the U of M. Like, I want to stay close. And we immediately were like, nope, you're going back. You got into this great music school. That's where you need to be. And then his second, sentiment was he's got this wonderful girlfriend and he said what if we got married right away like so that you can be at the wedding so that was tender to, to both of us uh-huh. <laughs> they go, whoa, whoa whoa you know we love you both but I don't think that's a good idea right this minute but just the, the, his sweet sweet heart of wanting like let's make it now and yeah. um, just showing up in full support he did go you know away to school in mid-August, and he would send me articles and research and kind of check in, either FaceTime or text, almost every day, just as he was processing his own grief. I, I, I'm so aware that for these 
young guys, it's, it's a lot to consider like this mom who's always been here. Um, it's pretty precarious to think like, oh my gosh, we're on borrowed time. So each of them in their own way um, just shows up in exactly their personality. So I will notice that the kids, if we're out and about, they're always really quick to, when there's steps coming or a weird incline, they're really quick to offer me an arm. And they don't say anything, but they're just by me to show up as like something I can grab hold of. And no one needs to say anything, but just like, yep, we're here for you. We have a lot of really just good conversations. So if stuff is on their hearts, like wondering, how does this feel for you? Or are you afraid of that? Just kind of being all in for, for good conversation and not to skirt the fact that this is really hard. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Living Thoughtfully, Dying Well, which um, <laughs> I don't know if it's a bestseller, but um, maybe it should be. It's, it's just a topic we don't really want to think about. And what I love about it, it's written by Dr. Glenn Miller. And it's really cool to have a good death described both as someone pastoral and medical. And the invitation of this book is to really think about, like, there's, it's very empowering to think about dying on your own terms and the things that you really want to kind of, that John Mayer song, say what you need, you know, say what you need to say. Like, it's really up to all of our games. So in terms of our family, how they're doing, when they're having a hard moment, just showing up in that, hard spot to say this is what I'm struggling with or this is what I'm afraid of um again I just think it's it's allowing us to have that kind of intimacy and it's 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 hard and holy stuff it's tender um and it's not all the time you can't be deep all the time but it also is allowing them to hear from me and from Gino like in really sort of adult terms here's how we're thinking about this and um, here's some things we're considering. And I do think it nudges kids to grow up a little faster um, because I think oftentimes, you know, children, even young adults, think of their parents as a little more object permanence. And that's really not true, but um, we're living into that notion of, um, I want them to know that I'm going to do everything I possibly can to have this go as slow as it possibly can and to also have as much joy in the moments that we are given as we possibly can. Um, but also that it's, it's, it's okay to have down moments and to be scared and to be sad. I mean, I want to coin everything you've said. So many of the things, it, it is truly, I'm blown away of how positive that you still are. I know it's, it's not always hard. It depends. We're each individuals, right? But when, when things are going well, when things are going okay, when the hurdles are, are small, you know, finding joy is a bit easier. But when you're at a place where you're having to have conversations about death a lot, the fact that you can bring so much love and joy to the table is truly magnificent. And such a gift, the gift that you are giving the boys and Gino and your friend and friends and extended family. I mean, how do you do it? It's, I will, um, 
well, my my main claim, and this is what I shared with the kids and with anybody, really, is that, um, you know, I'm not happy and upbeat every single day, but in general, I am experiencing more joy and more peace than I ever knew was possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm a person who I have the hope of heaven. And so for me, the end isn't a scary, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And because I can claim that for my life, um, it makes death more a part of life. Mm-hmm. And it's a really strange thing, Karen, that even as a little girl, um, I didn't think I would live a long life. I, I remember I was probably 10 and it was planted on my heart that like seeing 80 or being an old woman, it, I just believed that I, that wouldn't happen for me. And at that moment, I have a childhood diary that actually says this, that like, I may not live a long life, but I'm going to burn bright the whole time I'm alive. Oh, wow. And it, it, it's like so wild to me that that was placed on my heart. And I, I intend to defy sort of the, the medical journals about ALS. Like I intend to, to stretch this as long as I possibly yes. can. But the fact that it's almost in my spirit that um, I told the kids the penthouse suite is waiting for me in heaven. And like, that's okay. I want you to be able to envision me there. It's going to be so beautifully decorated and, um, and I'll still there. And so in a way, it's, I want them to have that same confidence that death is not the end. Wow. Um, I, I was going to ask you what advice you would give for other people, but I feel like you just gave us all such beautiful words to think about when we make whatever it is in life and look past it beautiful. Then I think it makes it easier to take the steps each day. But is there anything, anything lastly you'd like to say to the listeners about when they get bad news or when they get hit with hardship, whether it's ALS or something else? I I would say to your earlier point, everyone is an individual. So I, you know, I was, I came out of a luminous way, kind of hard coded to see, to see light um, and to sort of make lemonade out of lemons. But I would say like, just kind of for anybody in hard news, um, what the hard news has taught me that I think everyone can apply is if it's on your heart, go with it. Don't wait. Like, don't think tomorrow, next year, when I have more time, more money, more whatever. Like, if especially when it comes to relationships, like if it's on your heart, I just say, do it, do it now, say it, say it now. Um, just to kind of lean in because the truth is no one's promised tomorrow. So, that part in our, I don't know, Western culture, busy lifestyle. We don't like to look at that and think about that sort of every day, but that is true. And I would say just expressing radical acts of kindness, putting family first, um, and just letting the rest. It used to bug me that that phrase of like, don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. Uh-huh. And I don't know why that bothered me, but like now I, I see that and I'm like, that's so true. Like, uh-huh. Just almost the um, put your marbles in the right pile because the relationship stuff, it's just, it's everything. And so investing um, in those ways, a couple of things I'm doing is like I have a a journal for each son 
and it has hard questions. And it, some of them are just like memories and some of them are deep thoughts. I don't know about you, but for my boys, you know, they don't just wear their hearts on their sleeves. So sometimes yeah. it's easier to write it down. And so in addition to these conversations that we're having, I'm also doing a journal with each one of them so that they can sort of, it's almost like ask anything or share yeah. your heart. Uh-huh. Um, it will also be something that they will have um, in into the future. And so that feels, again, it's something I can do. Um, we just renewed our vows a few weeks ago, and I had each of the boys, um, again, in the midst of a pandemic, this is a miracle. Everything was a yes. We were able to safely gather 40-some people um, in a church that had not had a single service since March. We were the only event we've had since COVID, and everybody was a yes. The caterer, like everything, and we were able to safely do it. It wasn't just super spreader event. Nobody got sick. And um, as part of that, it was important to Gino and I, I danced with each son to a song that they they picked. And so we captured that on video and I'm going to do a voiceover um, for each of them to have that again and for their future life, just because the likelihood that I will dance with them at their wedding is pretty low. Um, I like to hold out hope that I will, but, you know, just in case. Right, right. Um, it's my hedge of protection. And so I just think, again, like that was on my heart. Like, wouldn't it be cool if, if we had this? And it'd be easy to be like, yeah, it's too hard. It's too hard. Just, I'm just kind of a, a why not? And um, and let the details kind of fall into place. So, oh, and I, I just would say, yeah. another thing is just accepting being in this place. I would way rather serve than be served. And so, this both my cancer in eleven and now this has just put me in this posture of accepting help, and it can be so uncomfortable. Yeah, and uh-huh. because I'd way rather be on the other side of the table, but there's a beauty in graciously accepting the generosity and the kindness of other people. And so that's just another thing where you're, when you're in a hard spot, I think in, in the, this life, we get to take turns with that. And so um, to just to be okay with it and just to be thankful. I mean, all of this is such wise advice. I, I think it's so hard as someone like you that would rather help others than to have them be at, at my side helping me. But it's such a beautiful gift sometimes that we can give our friends and loved ones to let them help us because a lot of times they don't know what to do. And so that not only can, you know, I'll speak for myself that I've could use the help at various points during my cancer journeys, but it's also, I think made some of my friends and families feel a part of it too. And, and that makes us all feel good. I am so grateful as I sit here in tears washing them away and my glasses are all, all getting fogged up because you are such a, a beautiful, bigger than a ray of light, but like beaming sunshine through the sky, really shouting from now the mountaintops about how life can be so beautiful and we have a choice to make it that way. I'm so grateful that you're willing to have this conversation for all the listeners, but also me. I think sometimes we all... You know, going through life, people are having a hard time right now. And and that has been what this podcast is about, is trying to connect with these stories that can provide insight and information and inspiration on how to find joy during our journey. So I'm so grateful that you have been here and was hoping that you would play the grateful game as we close out this episode. 
I'd love to. Yay. So as you know, if you've listened before, I know you have. And for any of those who are new to me, I play the grateful game at the end of each episode. My son and I play it most nights and it's in an effort really to try and connect to positivity that's going through our days. Now, I definitely, I'm so grateful, as I mentioned, Lynn, that you were here. I am grateful for my health. I am grateful for the food that's put on my table and the shelter. Those things all can be mentioned, but I also like to look at the little things because sometimes we don't have great days, but there's always little things around us that might be able to put a smile on our face. So I am going to start and I'll give us 30 seconds each who can tell what they're grateful for and why. I am going to start out by saying at the beginning of this episode, you talked about your family connection to music. And I am so grateful to Apple Music, which is a subscription app that my husband and I just joined fairly recently. I would say, um, you know, my dad played the piano growing up, and so there was always some sort of music going on in my house. But it's something that I don't know if I would say it's a part of our family DNA, but in recent weeks, especially with um, COVID and that we've been a little more isolated due to my compromised immunity, that we we'll have like music theme nights and we'll listen to, you know, it was eighties hair band the other night and it made my husband and I laugh. And I had stories about different songs that we probably don't listen to, but it's really beautiful how music can bring you back. And so, okay, I just overseeded 30 seconds with my one, but uh, it's amazing that when you were talking about that in your Mayo playlist and I had so many people through my journey make up playlists for me that even to this day I hear this song and it reminds me of my cousin Nikki because she put it on a playlist when I was going into radiation. So music can be so Mm -hmm. powerful. So anyway, I'm tossing the mic to you. What are you grateful for today and why? I agree so much on the music front. Today, I am grateful for healthy food. Like I think because of the journey I'm in to really discover the clean 15 and the dirty dozen and to really be more intentional with um, the food that I'm bringing into the house. I love, love, love to cook. And because I've got these three growing boys plus Uh a husband that love to eat, um, food is a joy and preparation of food is a joy. And so in fact, tonight, I'm grateful that we are having um, Marco has perfected his chicken fried rice um, okay. down at school. And so we are having a family dinner where he is actually, the apron is passed to him. And I'm just super grateful about um, the fact that we can put nutritious body, nutritious food into our bodies and it can be medicine for us and that we can do that in community. So like just fellowship of a meal. Um, it just, it's kind of blowing my mind this week because I've always been the only one that cooked in our house. And now to see my kids lean in is just really a joy. Not only is it making memories, it's actually good life skills too, right? And hopefully they're taking on the focus of, you know, we're not eating Pop-Tarts. Not saying that you guys ever did, but like, um, but they're looking now to cook healthy foods to nourish you know, the family and to themselves moving forward. So, all right, so we tied. Um, but as I always say, it's this is a game that gives back no matter how, like who wins, who loses. It's it's never about that. Although when I play with my son, you know, he always some, somehow wink, wink, always wins. But I just find, <laughs> I find that 
no matter what, no matter what has gone on in the day, and especially when I've hit some really hard ones, that to end my days with a gratitude practice, or as we call it, the gratitude game, has really helped put a smile on my face, has helped with my healing, and it's helped me feel like things are going to be okay and I have hope for a better tomorrow. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being willing and to be so honest and raw with us on this call, on this interview, on this episode, because I know the listeners and I know myself as a listener right here too can really lean in and enjoy all the messages that you send, which really sounds like it's just you being you. And that's a beautiful thing. So thank Karen, you, thank so, you much. so much. Oh my gosh. It's been my privilege. I like, I, can we keep talking? <laughs> I know. I know. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it. It's been amazing. And so for all of you out there, if you take a moment now before we sign off to think about something that you are grateful for today and why, and hopefully hearing Lynn's story or the other stories that you may have listened to within the podcast has helped you realize that there is a way to find a little bit of joy during whatever journey we're going through in life. So everyone, I'm sending out big virtual hugs. Take care of yourself and bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to leave you with a quick thought, but first, a request. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us, too. If you love us, they might as well. And now, my parting words. We play the grateful game at the end of each episode, and here is why. After my second diagnosis, I started to research who was thriving with cancer and what they were doing to be well. I learned that wellness is about consistent self-care, creating everyday practices that help improve your body and mind toward a state of good health. And for me, focusing on gratitude brings tremendous positive energy into my life. And with that being said, Lynn's story had me in tears. Even someone as joyful and as compassionate as she was prior to her ALS diagnosis, she still stepped up her game, focusing on finding joy with her family and her life even after this terminal diagnosis. Sharing her story is a gentle reminder to us all that as she says it, if it's in your heart, go with it. Do not wait. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now, everyone.